Good morning. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And happy birthday to the church. It is either 1,982 years old or 1,979 years old. Because thinking about what I was going to say this morning about the birthday of Christianity, I had several trains of thought. None of them, but none of them involving trains leaving Chicago in opposite directions. And anyway, my my first train of thought was almost derailed when it approached this conundrum. While Pentecost is considered to be the church's birthday, we don't have an exact date for that first Pentecost. And consider this: if I were to ask you out of the clear blue to give me your exact birth date, you'd pretty much be able to do that without giving it a second thought. For example, mine is October seventh. But if you were to give me the exact church birth date, well, a lot of you could probably tell me that Pentecost occurs exactly 50 days after and including Easter Sunday. Some of you might even be able to tell me the time of the birthday party, 9 o'clock in the morning. And for those of you reading King James, it was the third hour, which meant the third hour after dawn. But the timing of Pentecost lines up with the Jewish feast Shavuot, which commemorates the day God gave the Torah to the entire Israelite nation assembled on Mount Sinai. There's no copyright date or timestamp on those scrolls, however, though. And since no one has pinned down year one BC or AD, fixing the exact date of biblical events has always been a challenge of, well, biblical proportions. There's an odd truth to about Christianity. In a religion with a Bible which includes a book called Numbers, in a belief system built up around the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, sent to earth by God to save our souls, there's only one quote-unquote permanent, hard-fixed, universal Christian holiday, Christmas Day, December 25th. But even that date's in dispute. Some clerics and some historians, historians strongly suggest there's evidence pointing towards Jesus being born around the spring solstice, the middle of the month we've come to know as March, which was the first month of the Gregorian calendar year. Could Jesus have been born on the Ides of March? An interesting thought. Christian tenants identified Jesus as being 30 years old when he commenced his three-year ministry. That would make it 33 AD. But then we have that clutch of pesky historical documentation which points to the crucifixion as occurring in 30 AD. Ah, a math problem for the ages, huh? So here we are on Pentecost Sunday, a major benchmark in Christianity key to the floating date of the resurrection which followed one particular Thursday ahead of one particular Passover Sabbath during the reign of King Herod and the governance of Pontius Pilate. Yet in modern times, Good Friday and Easter rarely coincide with Passover. And for that matter, Easter rarely coincides with Easter. You go next door, our brothers and sisters at the Eastern Rite follow the antiquated Gregorian calendar. Sometimes their Easter is a week after ours. Sometimes their Ash Wednesday is an Ash Monday. How do I explain that? Maybe it's one of the heavy mysteries that I learned when I was growing up Catholic. But as I continue to think about this morning's service, another train of thought arrived at the question of music. And our hymnal is loaded with Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter music, but it's pretty thin when it comes to Pentecost-specific music. If you're like me, quote-unquote, haven't got a clue is the answer to the name of the official Pentecost song. If we reach out to the secular world, we might be able to use Happy Birthday, as we did this morning. Or, in a reference to Ezekiel, which the denomination has as our third reading, which we didn't do this morning, we might even go with dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. But with three songs, what radio station is going to go 24-hour Pentecost music? I don't think any. 
And if happy birthday kind of turns you off, there's always Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire, or not. So maybe we should turn to the book of Joel. Billy Joel, that is. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world is turning. It's much closer to the symbolism of Pentecost. God's inspiration is the fire of passion to spread the word. Plus, the song's rhyme scheme also works when it comes to chronicling the biblical names cited in this morning's Acts further on in the reading. Parthians and Elamites, Medes and Cappadocians, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, too. Okay, maybe I'm being a little cute. I've got some people wincing in the audience. But the more I thought about today, along came that third train of thought, one with a more serious message about the most important human aspect of Pentecost. The apostles and disciples accepted without hesitation the accountability and responsibility for continuing the Christian movement in the wake of the physical absence of their spiritual leader, Jesus Christ. Luke, writing the Acts of the Apostles, details how those gathered in their safe house of that upper room were filled with the Spirit of God embodied as individual tongues of fire hanging in the air above each person. But then Luke reveals that those believers in the upper room, filled with the passion of their belief, took a radical step some 53 days after their darkest hour. They bounded down the stairs and spilled out into the daylight. They abandoned their safe house they stopped their quivering and quaking, their wailing and wondering, now what do we do? Instead, they rumbled down the stairs and burnt out, burst out into the street, extolling God's praises to a crowd stunned to be hearing their own language, their own dialects, spoken by a group of mostly unschooled fishermen and women who primarily spoke Aramaic. Those apostles, filled with the safety of the Holy Spirit, reveling in the streets so gloriously, so uproariously, they were mistaken for a bunch of drunks celebrating Shavuot, they knew what to do. They knew to spread their wonderment and their message through sheer, honest, and joyously heartfelt expressions. They didn't care if they upset people with their message of God's love and the spirit of brotherhood and sisterhood and fellowship, because that was the point. Today, However, if we were to copy what the believers did that morning, we'd probably be viewed by skeptical and cynical eyes, and we'd sort of be seen as missing the mark. True, everyone loves a party, except when it gets in the way of our daily routine. When we get stuck in traffic by a pop-up party, hey, you know, we're New Yorkers, move that thing, we gotta get through. But how better to set yourself up for real ridicule than by acting foolishly in the eyes of those you wish to convert? Who wants their evangelical message ridiculed, their nascent movement dismissed as merely the loudest behavior of drunks upsetting the standard mid-morning routine? Where have we heard this complaint before, and most recently? The Occupy Wall Street movement comes to mind. Building on the passion of last year's Arab Spring, which was inspired by the Velvet Revolution and the anti-war movement, Occupy Wall Street set out to call attention to the current economic disparities between the very rich, the 1%, and everyone else, the 99%. OWS set up an encampment on Lower Broadway with a library, a kitchen, and distributed literature, engendering much positive opinion and from all sides of the political spectrum. But somehow they forgot to include the key ingredient which made everything that the apostles did and all other revolutionaries accomplished. They forgot accountability and methodology built on love. In the dangerous political climate of King Herod and Pontius Pilate, where opposing the status quo could get you killed or worse, 
get you thrown into the black hole of a dungeon. Only the leaders of any group or movement did all the talking, basically to protect the followers and the movement. And so it is Peter who heeds the word of the psalmist. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. It is he who steps up and in his somewhat sarcastic tone not only answers his critics, they're not drunk, it's nine o'clock in the morning. He reveals himself to be the leader of the Christian movement. And yet, when it comes to Occupy Wall Street, who's in charge? The anti-war movement's leaders included Avi Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Bobby Seale, names we know 40 years later. Same with the Czechs, who looked to Alexander Dubček and then Václav Havel, while Arab Spring celebrates the Tunisian street vendor, Mohamed Bouazazi. But in an effort to be of everybody, OWS devolved into being of nobody. It's dissolved into a ragtag army of crass, disingenuous, me-first complainers. Where once politicians welcomed them, when good-hearted, well-meaning church people gave them places to sleep, OWS members showed their lack of respect by being kicked out of the street spaces and by desecrating these sacred spaces. And sadly, instead of providing positive energy or positive ideas to ease the plight of the 99%, OWS squandered their opportunity. Not so the apostles. The significance of Pentecost was not lost on them. Instead of retreating back into the safety of that upper room, they stayed out in the open with their new Christian movement, building it into a religion. When Peter was crucified, Linus was elected as his successor in the long line that's become to be known as the Popes. But across all Christian denominations, Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, you name it, Pentecost provides us with our annual reminder that we as descendants of those upper room people must continue to be accountable to the leg legacy of their faithfulness. It's important that we be known as Christians, as the hymn goes, by our love, always standing up to be counted in times of need, both large and intimate. Not by how much secular, political, or financial gain we meet, or net-net, as the popular phrase goes, but how much the relationship continues. Christianity's broad, welcoming arms initially deemed as scandalous and heretical and beaten back more times through two millennia than we have time to count, remain open, surviving, and yes, thriving. While there may be dogmatic differences among the Christian denominations, including those proven to be false prophets, and while Pentecost will be occurring on a different date next year, Jesus' message of love born to the secular world by those tongues of fire remains the same. And if I were to sum up on a musical note, Perhaps I borrow a line from Jimi Hendrix. Let me stand next to your fire. Amen. <laughs>